This episode is brought to you by our generous sponsor, Kobold Press. The Tome of Beasts 2 from Kobold Press brings nearly 400 new monsters to 5th edition, designed by some of the most talented and wildly creative designers working today. Pick up Tome of Beasts 2 today at CritAcademy.com slash Kobold Press. Welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Austin. I'm your co-host, Ian. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. We want to thank you guys for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. That's right. Roles like a Drake Warden without his Drake. Ooh, that'd be bad. Then it's just a ranger, which everyone hates. Yeah, which everyone does. I'm really excited for today's episode. Our main topic today is the Unearthed Arcana 2020 that just came out for subclasses part five. That includes the Way of the Ascended Dragon Monk and the uh, Drake Warden Ranger uh, playtest material. And I'm really excited because I think they did some good stuff with this. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I think so too, actually. Uh, I was just going through it and I, I. uh readily agree <laughs> <laughs> some pretty cool stuff here um but before all that we have our let's talk about blink segment where we kind of hit on either some listener submitted questions or some rolling interesting news topics and if you haven't heard most people know that a live action D movie is already in the works what mm-hmm. we just found out according to movieweb.com is that not only is hasbro currently working on the movie based on, you know, our favorite role-playing game, Dungeons & Dragons, but there has also been revealed that the company is actively developing a live-action television show um, to go with it. Uh, Brian Goldner, the CEO of Hasbro, announced earlier last week um, that the company very much intends to commit to the franchise with... uh, with the company's entertainment arm currently in the early stages of developing this live-action... TV show, Dungeons and Dragons. I'll admit, my knee-jerk reaction was like, I feel like I've been hearing this one being developed for years. We still haven't heard anything like solid per se about what's being done or not being done, so. Right. <laughs> but I do my... hope we see something come of this, so. Right. My concern with it is uh, obviously, we're all anime lovers here, uh, at least us three. Um, and fantasy movies in general or at least adaptations of stuff tend to be pretty rough uh usually they don't have a very good turnout and i'm sure we can all remember the avatar the last airbender live action movie which was just miserable uh i Um, asked the men in black to remove that movie from my memory so i have no recollection of that oh okay well i'm good on you because i need to contact them uh i'll send them your way (laughs) cool but, but uh, I know the my, last oh, two official live action D and D movies were not been well received either. So <laughs> right, and my other concern is is there's so much content in the lore of Dungeons and Dragons. Now, they could definitely choose anything, but the problem is is if they don't just hone the vision in on one thing, similar to like Baldur's Gate, how that's obviously the influence is heavily induced by mind players and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's 
probably going to get bad. Like, obviously, there's going to have to be a dragon in there. There has to be. I mean, if there isn't, then <laughs> what the fuck, Hasbro? <laughs> like, that's funny. And, and, but at the same time, like, I would love to see some stuff on, like, uh, on, like, Asmodeus doing some crazy stuff, oh. or, like, any of the upper planes, or any of the extra stuff that you don't normally get to see in these Dungeons Dragons campaigns because they're all so focused around the material plane. Yeah. So I do see, like, they they have a lot of stuff, and it's really hard to just filter through and pick and choose the, the very minute, specific things to drive a plot hook with. Right, right. Um, what? Uh, so Daryl in the chat says, "Well, it depends. Is it going to be like the first D and D movie they made, or more like Lord of the Rings?" I really, I really feel like that. Ooh. That's a really good point because, yeah. Um, who when they designed Lord of the Rings, they took the canon, they took all that stuff, and they didn't. Um, I wouldn't say they 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 held to it pretty close, but the yeah. directors and and the team still took kind of some liberties with some of the the story and the way it's received. Now we're starting to see more and more successful stuff in this genre. Witcher on Netflix, I think, is a really great example of this. Yes, that that and that is a, a really good example. Well, I actually have my own thoughts on that, but we'll be here all day for, for that too, <laughs> because. I liked the Witcher TV show, but I thought it was a very poor adaptation of the material. I can agree with that, um, given what I know. But as agree, I agree with you on um, this part specifically, is that it was a very good TV show. It did exactly what it intended to do. It meant to just gather an audience, attract it to what the 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 main stuff is and then people can go oh well this this is what the witcher is about i want to know more about it and then yeah and it's it's a easy way for people to get into it and i think really in order to make D &D successful their first priority needs to be making a good show then including and adapting the lore around that because it does nobody no good to stay close to the lore and the details if in doing so you make a, a shitty show because then it isn't yeah. going to help nobody. Well, kind of going off of that, like, my dad tried to watch the first couple of episodes of The Witcher, and my dad does have an appreciation for fantasy and science fiction. Mm-hmm. Not as hardcore as a lot of people I know, mind you. Right. But he watched the first couple episodes and went, what the heck is this? And even I said, okay, I'll admit, I enjoyed the show, but the only reason why I knew what was going on in a lot of the episodes is I read the short stories those episodes were based off of. <laughs> Yes, so I kind fair. of got where he's coming from with that. Yeah, see, I don't... And I remember what I watched... In fact, they watched an entire video that analyzed each episode, and they said, yeah, they kind of went through each short story, wrote half the material, then injected the stuff with Siri and Yennefer, which, frankly, they probably should have saved for standalone episodes or next season. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, well, bringing it back around to uh, uh, yeah. what it'll take, I do think... Uh, while Witcher is different, I think it's more the template that they need to go by. But I do also think that there sure. needs to be careful of assuming your audience knows certain things. Um, that, right. Because the the general audience doesn't know a lot about the universe of D&D. Right. Even like most players don't know a lot about the universe of D&D. <laughs> I would even say a lot of DMs probably don't. Mm. Like, genuinely. Like, there's... 
there's so much out there how could you right you know like even though like i've been doing this for with you guys for a while now and i've definitely delved deep into some of the lore in D D. I definitely don't know everything like yeah. there's so much more way beyond what i know that i could even possibly fathom right so, uh daryl it, it is a franchise that's been out for a while so daryl points out that the mandalorian has five directors so apparently maybe that's the Wait. key is is to have uh in a higher production um to have more people involved and have more control over it so it's a balancing act instead of having one person at the head though i gotta admit kevin feige uh has done a phenomenal job with the marvel universe so Yes. <laughs> uh, that's not, it's not unusual to have a lot of directors for a tv show either though so. right so well overall i'm really yeah, excited actually, for this i just had to laugh at something i remember when there's been the rumors of them making a D movie for, for so long i remember back when i lived in mount pleasant which basically means before i lived here me and a friend of mine when we were watching a movie in theaters saw the chiller for the seventh sun that movie was a generic fantasy that our first reaction was, is this a and d movie we keep hearing about? And this came out in 2014. <laughs> so it's so generic that it just fits, right? Um, overall, yeah. I'm really excited for this. I, I, I hope that it goes the right way because we've got so much garbage for Dungeons & Dragons. I think that whatever theme or, or recipe they're using, they need to throw that shit in the trash and pick a new cookbook. So, which by the way, they just released oh. the feast heroes feast, yeah, cookbook, which is pretty feast. cool. Um, yeah. So uh, I think that'll do it for our, let's talk about blank segment. Uh, before we move on to the unearthed arcana main topic, uh, we have a gift to give away compliments of lore Smith. Right. Good job. Lore Smith for always helping us help other people. Uh, Laura Smith gave us today to give you guys the modular dungeon tiles, specifically the Arcania set. Now, the uh, Arcania digital set lets you make these dark, shadowy dungeon maps rich with the fumes of arcane secrets. Uh, on one wall, maybe we actually do get the great movie and everyone's really excited about D&D again. On the other hand, again, Avatar The Last Airbender did exist, so I'm, my hopes are low. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or, or Dragon Ball Evolution, choose your poison. Like those are those uh, are the toss-ups for the two like worst adaptation movies of all time. Like they're miserable. <laughs> like I know in Japan they had to market Dragon Ball Evolution as a parody. So did they really? Well, oh. they didn't at first, but it was so barely received on the first couple of days. They then had to change marketing midstream. Go, <laughs> it's a parody. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. uh, who's our winner today? Uh. CB Day 78. If you didn't win, uh, have no fear. Head on over to CritAcademy.com slash Lursmith. You can get some free fat loots, digital terrain, some good stuff. This episode is brought to you by our generous sponsor, Cobalt Press. Tome of Beasts 2 Layers brings you 14 standalone single map adventures for the 5th edition of the world's first role-playing game. Each adventure features new monsters from the Tome of Beasts 2. Some adventures also feature monsters from the first Tome of Beasts, as well as the Creature Kodak. Each adventure is intended to take one or two sessions to complete and includes a map, adventure hooks, and treasures for your adventurers. Some notable adventures include The Track of the Thief, a level 1 adventure. 
a Caverns of the Crystal Monolith, a level 5 adventure, or the Terrors at the Mountain Lotus Temple, level 8. They have a variety of adventures of all tiers of play for you to bring to your table. Get, to, get a chance to use all those beloved monsters you've picked up. Head on over to CritAcademy.com slash Press and pick up your copy today. Now, for our main topic, we're once again, we're discussing the Unearthed Arcana subclasses part five, which con, uh, contains the Way of the Ascendant Dragon Monk and the Drake Warden Ranger subclasses. So I'm really excited to talk about these. Uh, the first one we have is the Way of the Ascendant Dragon. I do want to make sure you guys know this is playtest material. As always, if you do try it, you do play it, and you do have comments, leave the feedback when the survey opens up, because that's yes. that's how they help improve. They are literally asking us to help them better their game. So they, we have never had more power and more uh, influence over the shaping of our favorite game than we do now. So do that. I uh, always a do. huge, a huge example of this was the psionic stuff. Uh-huh. They literally, I think revised it, I think two or three times because of the feedback. So like for those of you saying like, it doesn't work or it's my, my voice doesn't matter. It very, very clearly does because they have listened to a lot of people about this. And like the psionic fighter used to be absolutely insane and people uh, said a lot hey this is incredibly overtuned and now they're doing a lot better about it so yeah. and they've actually toned it down by quite a bit and they made it more in line with actual psionics rather than this guy's using psychic powers to bolster himself yeah and there so. might be more changes coming because it is those that those classes are in the uh uh tasha's uh uh, Cauldron of Everything? Yeah, that one. So anyways, yeah. uh, back to what we're talking about now. So we have the Way of the Ascendant Dragon, um, which, you know, monks who follow the Way of the Ascendant Dragon revere the power and grandeur of dragons. Uh, they alter their own key to resonate with draconic might, uh, channeling it to augment their prowess in battle, soaring through the air and bolstering their allies. So right off, like the sound of this. <laughs> right off the bat, this sounds awesome. Um, I've, I've played a monk where I flavored it with the dragon theme, um, but it's all just flavor now to have a cool mechanics that go with that. So, so what does this mean? So at third level, you get your primary features, which basically lets you imbue, um, your draconic key into your unarmed strikes. Go ahead. I was going to say, honestly, the, the third level right here, this, uh, specifically the draconic disciple, it's honestly cool because like it influences the very core of your character, which is awesome. Yeah. So uh, the one that really caught me off guard that I really liked about this one in specific is if you fail a charisma intimidation or charisma persuasion check, you can use your reaction to re-roll the check as you tap into the mighty presence of dragons. Once you use this feature, once this feature turns a failure into a success, you can't use it again until a long rest. Now, That's specifically, cool. I like the use that you can keep reusing this until it actually succeeds. That's that is cool. something that doesn't happen very often in D&D, and I think it should. Yeah, I don't think I've ever noticed that. I, did, I mean, I didn't notice that when I was reading it, that you can keep using it if it fails. Um, obviously, as a, as a DM, I wouldn't let you do it on that same check, but oh, you sure. could use no, it yeah. on throughout the throughout the day or the adventure week, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I do uh, what I, uh, I think in the psionics they did something similar, but I don't think it was on... It, 
with a check specifically. So the fact that it does work on this specifically is really cool. Yeah. To me. Um, now one of the cool aspects of this is something that I've actually, we, we did with our gun mage. Um, it allows you to change the element or the damage type of your unarmed strikes to acid, fire, cold, lightning, or poison. That's really cool. Our gun mage mm-hmm. was, uh, was based off of that same theme where you could alter the element to give you a, a bit of a advantage or offset a disadvantage against a creature with like resistance or something like that. So I imagine uh, this means that your hand, your unarmed strengths, instead of bludgeoning, it would be mm-hmm. strictly acid instead of, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Now, so that's cool. What's cool with all this stuff, it lets you, uh, I think it lets you learn, uh, uh, speak and read Draconic too, which is pretty cool. What I think is cool mm-hmm. about this is the, the, the way you can flavor it. Remember, it's an unarmed yes. strike, not necessarily a punch. So you can do flying dragon kicks and like a dragon, like spectral key maw appears over your arms or over your, uh, over your head as you're doing a headbutt. I would love to see a, say, do a headbutt with a, yeah. <laughs> it looks like a, like <laughs> spectral translucent dragon head. Um, and, I that pretty quick too. I was like, that one's, that'd be cool. So that's pretty cool. If you really wanted to get fancy, it could just as be as easy as when you throw a punch, the, 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 the head appears and, uh, opens a, a little gout of whatever element you change into. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or like it, when you go to knee somebody, it like turns into like a few like draconic spikes in your knee yeah. or something. Uh, Ian, what do you think about this feature? I'm actually kind of surprised that the route they didn't go was like with the Draconic Sorcerer that you pick a colored dragon and you stick with the element throughout. When I, when I first read that that there was the way of the Ascendant Dragon, that's actually the first thing that came to my mind. So yeah, that's that's I agree with you there. Uh, I do think an argument could be made of changing it to any of these elements, effectively at will, might be a little overpowered. Also, I was kind of surprised, too, that they didn't set it up in a way where, let's say, you spend one key point, but you can use the element for an entire minute. I could also see an argument for it as well. I think I, what I like it that. is, is it's not adding damage. It's just changing the damage. Yeah. So, like, it's not something yes, that's inherently... It's not giving you an inherent, like, damage boost, unless, like, you, of course, know the weakness of the monster, but even then, uh, you'd be probably sticking with, like, colder fire right. by that point you don't really know if unless you know you're fighting like like a, a, a mech thing Troll? can't think of the word right now but something robotic and then obviously you could hit it with lightning maybe but like meh well, know. when I did, was doing the gun mage, I had to do a lot of study and uh, uh, statistics around this because that was the first response that I had gotten is that it's going to be imbalanced if they can just choose it whenever they want. But mm-hmm. it really isn't. There's not resistances to certain types isn't such a big deal that it changes the um, the CR rating so much. Instead, what it does is it makes the player feel like they're being able to, oh man, my ability is just for this. I get to show off, oh, by doing the same amount of damage as I would if it didn't have this. That's it, Mm -hmm. unless it's a weakness. But then you're exploiting that weakness and either through knowledge checks or if the the, the DM lets a metagaming and knowing what to use, so. Right, and I think that's where the line is drawn, is that, is it the DM just saying like, whatever, you know this is a player, I don't care, or is it something like, did they actually go through you know, researching these creatures and making sure that they know the weaknesses of these things in character. Now, that would yeah. be different for me because that means that the monk is actively trying to find these weaknesses outside of combat and, you know, just 
right. working things correctly. Your table. Yeah. And every table is yeah. going to be different. Um, Austin, why don't you tell us about the next ability you get at third level? Breath of the Dragon. Yeah. So you can channel your key into destructive waves of energy like the dragons you emulate. I like how it says that you're emulating them. I, I like how that's constantly pushed. You're not actually turning into dragon. You're emulating your key like them, which is a feat in itself. So that's still cool. Uh, when you take the attack action on your turn, you can replace one of your attacks with an exhale, exhale exhalation of draconic energy in either a 20-foot cone or a 30-foot line that is 5 feet wide. Your choice. Uh, choose a damage type, acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison. Uh, each creature in the area must make a dexterity saving throw against your key save DC, taking damage of the chosen type equal to two rolls of your martial arts die on a failure or half as much on a success. And then, of course, it goes up by level, so mm -hmm. it becomes three rolls instead of two. And so, you can use it as many times as your proficiency bonus. So this is interesting. Oh, I didn't... Oh, this is the last part right here, actually. Uh, when you have no uses available, you can spend one key point to use the feature again. That's cool. That is cool. I feel like that all, all this actually makes it better than the it does. Dragonborns. Yeah. They, Dragonborn, <laughs> Dragonborn's Rachel just got pissed all over. <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, uh, I think this is cool. This actually, is expected. I think expected. doing that since first came out so yeah <laughs> so the one thing i love about this and i know we already have the the sun soul monk that does the key blast and all that stuff but for me i love the idea of treating this like a like a command mail wave or or something <laughs> yes. like that um, i was thinking exactly along those lines like they are just or like what if they're like the cool silent type so they're just standing still and they just look at you and like this wave of energy just exudes Ooh. off them and like hits the opponent and they haven't moved. They're just standing and staring at you. you I'm know? envisioning like the uh, from Bleach when they have the Raitsu and the, the just like the the weight and the uh, weight of it. Yeah, is, just yeah. Carry, carry, pulls from, down. From uh, Kenpachi. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. You're like, yeah. you're the you're the strong type. You're not the monk type. You're the strong, the the the, the muscly monk type. Yeah. Uh, what about level six, uh, Ian? Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Level six wings unfurled. When you use Step of the Wind, you can unfurl spectral draconic wings from your back that vanish at the end of your turn. While the wings exist, you have a flying speed equal to your walking speed. You can use this feature a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all uses when you finish a long rest. When you have no uses available, you can spend one additional key point when you activate Step of the Wind to use this feature again. Ah, I'm seeing a trend. When you run out of these features, you can exhaust your resource to use them To more use them more. again. And I love... God, I'm so happy they're taking this direction because it's so needed. Yeah. Um, I have a couple <laughs> thoughts about this. Well, I like that it's including a feature that they already have. This When you use your step yes. of the wind. So it's basically enhancing a feature you already have, which I think is really, really cool and is a, a a better direction as you just said than just giving them an outright new feature they're 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 enhancing something they already have which is just fantastic that actually okay. before the show started and before uh austin showed up i remember i was saying half jokingly i've been kicking around that idea in my head based on a 4e character character of like a way of the phoenix and like in the first features for the first year. I'm like, this is something really familiar of what was in my head. <laughs> what I do like about it, actually, and I agree with you on this one, 
is at first I thought this was stupid broken because you got this at mm-hmm. level six and you could have a flying speed. Yeah. What I didn't realize was this was step of the wind. So you're already spending a key point and mm-hmm. then you have to spend an additional key point after you run out of the uses anyway. So it's you're really running through your key points by this point, and that's if you're not using them offensively by this point, yeah. right? So, I mean, there is definitely a cost to this, and I think, and because it's only for the one turn that you're doing this, it's almost like you just get, like, a wing beat real quick, and you kind of like get, like, a rush back kind of thing. I think it's fine. You ever uh, played Castlevania Symphony of the Night? You, yes. When you get the double jump and the cape turns into bat wings and flaps, that's kind of what I'm envisioning for exactly. this. Now, That's how I'm feeling about it. You mentioned it might be imbalanced. I think level 6 is appropriate level um, for Fly, because yeah. I think at 5th level, Wizards can cast Fly. Um, I, guess, oh, I and guess you're right. Dude. So I, I would say that. That's right around the level. Um, okay. I don't, so I wouldn't say that it would be imbalanced, but it seems like it's, it, once again, it still requires uh, additional resources, and it's not something that they have indefinitely. I, uh, what I do like about it a lot is that you could use this, I think, offensively as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, they could definitely use Step of the Wind and fly straight up into an enemy and, like, give them the old downer cut. Yeah, <laughs> like or, grapple or grapple them. Or grapple them and bring them to the ground. Yeah, and just, yeah. So, I mean, I I like this feature because you would instantly think defensively because that's how you normally use Step mm-hmm. of the Wind, right? But you could definitely use this in an offensive way. So I, I do genuinely love the versatility of this right. specific uh, feature. All right. Uh, at 11, level 11, you get Aspect of the Worm, which basically Draconic Key now radiates from you know, Dragon Ball Z right there, right? Cool. Just glowing energy so coming off you. Um, oh, it's so good. It protects your allies from harm and punishes uh, any who raise arms against them. As a bonus action, you can create an aura of draconic power that radiates 30 feet from you for one minute. You choose the damage type. Now, your allies gain... This is gain... literally Reiatsu. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> your allies gain resistance uh, to the chosen type of damage, and waves of destructive energy flow out from you and your allies when any of you are attacked. Um, when you were one of the allies in this aura is hit by an attack made by the creature within the aura, the attack, um, that was hit, um, the target that was hit can use a reaction to basically do the amount of damage equal to the martial arts die. Um, so basically you're giving everyone a, uh, a damaging aura that when they're struck, it hurts the enemy, which is just cool as hell. That is so (laughs) fucking cool. Now, you can only use it once per long rest yeah, unless that, that you expend four key points to use it again. Oh, so fucking do that. Absolutely. Again, I love, like, and this is good. You're getting resistance. To, so if you're in hell, you're going to get, like, a fire aura, right? You're just going to be like, yeah. yeah, whatever. And is it, does it deal that damage? Yeah, it deals that damage type. Okay. Of the so, chosen okay. types. So interesting. But still, that's almost free damage no concentration remember guys this is a feature you don't have to concentrate on this yep and the fact that it uses one of the less used mechanics which is reaction um because aside from maybe the the rogue or like a protection um fighter and occasionally the um the wizard with their shield it reactions don't get as much use so it's nice to see a feature that feeds off of that Mm -hmm. Um, at least that's my thoughts and once again, no, I, I can agree to that. I love uh, the, I, 
the key cost to oh, for sure. reactivate I, it. I, this whole... I, I'm loving all... This makes me want to play a monk. Like, with this specifically. This mm-hmm. is fucking cool. Yeah. Like, this is... Man, if this is this good, I can't wait for the ranger. <laughs> right. Uh, Do you want to uh, tell us about the the next and final feature of this class there, Austin? Oh my god, I read the first few words and I'm excited. So this is <laughs> Ascendant Aspect. At 17th level, your Draconic Key reaches its peak. You gain the following benefits. You gain Blindsight out to 30 feet. That's Within awesome. Within that range, you can effectively see anything that isn't behind total cover, even if you are blinded or in darkness. Moreover, you can see an invisible creature within that range unless the creature successfully hides from you. That's so, cool. I, again, still thinking Reihatsu here because there's actually a thing, or like Neji, where like you know how the Byakugan can kind of see within that bubble. Mm-hmm. It very much so reminds me of that as well. Yeah. Uh, when you damage a creature with your Breath of the Dragon, which was at level three, the energy clings to the target. At the start of your each of the creature's turns, it takes damage. Of the type of your breath, it take yeah of your breath dealt equal to one roll of your martial arts die. At the end of its turn, the creature can repeat the save, ending the effect itself on a success. So you get a dot for free. Yeah, you light them up. That's that's so awesome. Uh, when you activate your aspect of the worm, draconic fury explodes from you. you. Choose any number of creatures you can see within your aura. Those creatures take four d ten acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison damage. Your choice. So. Damn, that's cool. <laughs> Holy cow. That is really this cool. This is I think this might be my favorite monk subclass. <laughs> like actually. I actually like, feel like this is what the elemental way of the monk should have been. Yeah. yeah. Cuz you yeah. could get rid of the you could get rid of the dragon aspect and just call it the way of the elements monk and it would be better than the one they made. It's a high bar. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're right. Uh, oh, I that thought is, it was fine. Man, this is pretty cool. Super good, yeah. Like it's it's so it all just kind of flows well. It all makes sense. Yeah. It all works. The it's, thing uh, that I really like is that their capstone ability really harkens back to the core of the class, which is yeah, the dragon breath thing that you can do um, as part of its core, and it enhances that in a different way aside from just increasing the damage. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it does actually do that, but it does it in a different way. Um, yeah, it doesn't. Cool. It, it doesn't give it damage immediately. It gives it damage later on. That's still a save. And mm-hmm. I, I love the the aspect of the worm. That's probably my favorite thing about this. It's just so like you just choose to just explode with power, like a dragon probably would, because that's kind of their whole thing. Is that they are these kind of, for the most part kind of docile creatures that don't really do a whole lot. They just kind of want to keep control of territory and stuff until they just decide that hey. I'm going to take this from you and you kind of have to accept it. <laughs> right. Um, so Very cool. the one thing I, we didn't touch on, I'm just going to make a real quick uh, comment. Um, they do have ascendant dragon origins, which are basically <laughs> a list of ways your character learn this. Um, so the very first one is you honed your abilities by observing dragon and aligning your key with the world, their world altering power. And they give you a collection of ways to do that, which I think is really cool. Um, I don't want to get too much into that, but I like those little things. Anybody that picks up any of our subclasses that we make, we have started, we've always included those sorts of things that started mm-hmm. showing up in, uh, in Xanathar's where they give you little additional, uh, 
details about building your for building your character. Yeah. Uh, oh, I really like this one. After a dream that featured a five-handed dragonborn, he awoke with altered key reflecting the breaths of dragons. That's, that's pretty, pretty cool. cool. I like that. Uh, Ian, would you like to tell us about the ranger archetype, the Drake Warden? Certainly. Drake Wardens are rangers who use their natural connection with nature to form an endearing bond with a minor dragon, a drake. This bond allows the ranger to summon the drake to their side and to share in the awe-inspiring power wielded by dragons. Now, I had to immediately rush to publication our uh, wizard uh, school of binding because it very was very similar to this. And I was just like, I need to get it out before this thing gets out because... Uh, it's very similar. Um, of course, ours is a wizard instead of a ranger. But uh, right. uh, So the very first uh, feature you're going to get is the Draconic Gift, which allows you to uh, uh, bond uh, to a, a drake um, of your choice. If you, It also says, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Draconic Gift gives you the ability to speak, read, and write Draconic. And you learn the Thermitage uh, Cantrip, which I love. I love those mm-hmm. little magical effects, making your eyes glow and making sure. you know smoke go and out of exi- fire out of existence, little shit like that. Um, but you also get your Drake companion, which allows you to magically summon a Drake that's bound to you. Now, I think they handled a mechanic in here that everyone has been asking for the Beastmaster, which is the fact you can attack with it as a bonus action. Um, yeah, that is really really. Uh, um, what everyone's been asking for now, um, on its own, if you don't take any actions, this thing takes the dodge action by default. Um, now let's talk about the stat blocks of this thing. I noticed it didn't give you any challenge rating. Um, I'm wondering if this is because some people assume that the lower challenge rating monsters are just not strong. But because these improve in uh, your like, for instance, the stats increase with your proficiency bonus. So as you get stronger, mm-hmm. so does the Drake um, with the draconic that makes sense. essence feature. But that happens with the Beastmaster, too. Um, and honestly, I don't feel like this was any more powerful than the the Beastmaster. But what is different is some of the additional features you get as you're going through this. But I do want to talk about the core of the Drake Companion. It does tell you you can choose the color, the shape, you know, all that sort of stuff. But it is a small a small creature. It can't fly right off the bat, but it does move really fast at 40 feet. Um, Still very fast, yes. Yes, um, which is pretty cool. But most of the stats are basically based around your proficiency bonus. It does have a, a, a bite that's just like 1d6 plus... Uh, um, the proficiency bonus of whatever type you chose. So mm-hmm. when you summon it, you pick a, you choose a type and it stays that type. Um, the feature, it also has the infused strikes reaction. This is where I think it's a little better than the, um, more traditional pets. Cause most of those don't for they the don't beast. Get yeah. <laughs> so this one gets infused strikes when another creature within 30 feet of the Drake, uh, that it can see hits it with a weapon attack. It can, re- uh, it can counter with its own attack of one D six damage of the determined type. So basically huh. by putting it in combat, you can potentially get it to a situation where it can attack twice. Um, which I think is the one thing that puts it just above, uh, the beast master ranger. Now, 
because of this, I totally feel like that I would, as a DM, if somebody wanted to play a Beastmaster, I would give them like a Counter-Strike or something that's basically this feature for them. Um, Which is fair, honestly. Yeah. Uh, reason being because I, I feel like Ranger is the least seen class, I, I, I feel. Except for the Gloomstalker. I see Except that a lot. Except for maybe the Gloomstalker, yeah. But yeah but I other than agree. that, I haven't seen... I don't hear stories about rangers. I don't see anyone playing rangers. No. Our group doesn't usually play a ranger. No, yeah, I know like, you did one time, but fun. yeah, and um, that 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 was it. Like that's so anything that can help the ranger just kind of shine a little bit more. I'm always for. So. Yeah, um, Austin, why don't you tell? So that's that's all the stuff you get at third level. Yeah, um, that was all third level. You don't get anything else until seventh level, Austin. What what do we we get here at seventh level? So at 7th level, we get Bond of Fang and Scale. Uh, the bond you share with your drake intensifies, protecting you and stoking the drake's fury. While your drake is summoned, you and the drake gain the following benefits. Uh, you gain resistance to the damage type chosen for the drake's uh, draconic essence, so the, the elemental type you chose, mm-hmm. uh, which is very good. Uh, choose one of the following. The drake gains a swimming speed of 40 feet and can breathe both air and water, or the drake grows wings and gains a flying speed of 40 feet. You can get one or the other. Um, the Drake's Bite attack deals an extra 1d6 damage of the chosen uh, damage type you had originally. So basically, your Drake just gets more powerful. This yeah. Level. Now, uh, this is cool because um, it gains new features, and you can fit that to the theme that you want. Now, I've recently been uh, uh, finishing the Aragon uh, uh, Saga, and so this really appeals to me to want to be able to create my own unique you know, maybe a water dragon like Vaporeon, right? No, it's not a dragon, but where it's got the water breathing and the swimming, and that's where it's specializing, turning into kind of an Aquaman sort of pet. Um, but I, f- I do feel like most people would end up picking flying over it. Um, but so do you get, can you change whether it's the breathing underwater and swim spade? I don't think so. I think Just... once you pick it for that Drake, that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's find another that. Drake somehow. Well, I think you can re- oh. you summon a different. Do you get? Can you summon a different one? Once you summon a Drake, you can't do so again until you finish. The- so you can resummon one at a uh, uh, a new level, or a new uh, at the uh, once a day. So it sounds like you can change the type that you get for the scenario, which is pretty sweet. Um, hmm. So overall, you both both of the the so this core feature is only going to benefits for your your pet. Um, Aside from the resistance, but yeah, that's. Oh yeah, I guess you gain you gives you the resistance. Okay, so that makes sense. So this would be really cool if you're a dragonborn because you could start to stack different resistances. You could, and and increase your defensive capability. I think. Um, Mm. So uh, Ian, uh, so that's pretty straightforward. Um, What I there's not a whole lot to, to go here. I think most of the core is going to come from the, the hunt, the, the Rangers core features, the extra attack, the, the spells and, you know, mm-hmm. all the different little features you get from there. Um, it's so, definitely not like the monk or like any of the other, like melee classes, honestly. Right. Uh, Ian, would you like to tell us about the 11th level feature, the Drake's breath? Sure. At 11th level, you gain Drake's breath as an action. You can hit. Oh, you, huh? Not the Drake. Yeah, you. Yeah. You can exhale a 30 foot cone of damaging breath or cause your Drake to exhale it. There is, I guess. Choose acid, okay. 
fire, lightning, or poison damage. Each creature in the cone must make a dexterity saving throw against your spell save DC, taking 66 damage on a failed save, or half as much on the successful one. Increases to 8d6 on 15th level. Once you've used this feature, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest, unless you expend a spell slot of 3rd level or higher to use it again. I do like that again. They're, they're, yeah. They're really doing, they're trying to make you, because they're features that you want to use, so yeah. why not let you use them? And I agree. And by consuming spell slots to regain it, you're basically like, this is the equivalent of almost like a fireball, right? So mm -hmm. you're consuming a third level slot to recharge it, right? It's a fireball that you can choose the element of. <laughs> I was about to say, that's actually kind of my one complaint, though, because when you compare it to other third-level spells, and keep in mind, you're getting it at 11th when most like, full casters get their third levels at 5. That's true. It's still less damage than damaging third-level spells. Right. I'm great, but I like, think it's about on par with half-casters get third-level spells, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit further ahead, but still. Yeah. And I mean, it's a 30-foot cone. That's still a lot of range. You can cover yeah. a whole room with it pretty easily. And the fact that you can cast it from yourself or your drake... Um, mm -hmm. is pretty cool because um, you can pin yourself or the monster, you can flank the monster um, or monsters and because you and your Drake are probably resistant and or immune to the effect, you don't even got to worry about like hitting each other. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing that's going for it too is the choose your element feature, mm -hmm. which we kind of saw with the monk earlier. So, mm -hmm. well, I suppose at some point. Which yeah. allows you to target weaknesses, right? Which is double damage. Yeah. yeah. So... Very cool, very straightforward. Um, I love this next one. This is actually something that I cut out of my uh, school of binding, and I kind of, I may, I kind of wish I had added it back. Um, your bond with your Drake reaches a pinnacle of power. Um, while it, your Drake is summoned, the Drake gains the following benefits: it's a large size instead of small, which means you can ride it. Yes, uh, that's huge. Uh, well, it's large. It's large. <laughs> uh, the Drake's bite deals more damage, um, uh, and it's of the elemental type chosen, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and when either you or your Drake takes damage uh, while you're within 30 feet of each other, you can use your reaction to give your yourself or the Drake resistance to that instance of damage. So... While some you gain a specific aspect from your bond of the fang and scale, um, you can now gain resistances on the fly to whatever uh, any of the elements that your Drake is using, which I think is pretty cool. Um, that is really, really cool. How do you guys think that looks? Actually... I don't think it has to matter what element or anything it is, because it says right here, you can use the reaction to give yourself or the Drake resistance to that instance of damage. So it could be piercing, and you could just... Oh, yeah, you're right! So you can keep the one element, and then you, like, say you're, uh, you chose resistance to cold damage, and someone tries to hit you with uh, force damage or psychic damage, you can just... Nope. That is, nah. that is cool. I You are right on. Um, as yeah, yeah. As it's written now, I can see that changing. Probably, <laughs> I'm gonna be probably. honest. Yeah. Um, but that's I, pretty I, cool. Because I, I was assuming, because you want to assume that it would be any of the like the dragon damage types, right? You know, yeah. the acid, cold, fire, landing, or poison. But no, it's <laughs> doesn't say that at all. <laughs> I totally can see this being flavored as since you're using your reaction 
as either uh, you um, growing like scales for an instant, or maybe your dragon's wings like wrapping around you to protect you, or something like that. I'm trying. I'm really trying to figure out how I how I would see this mechanic working um, from like a flavor aspect. I would think like for me personally, because I've grown up on watching Naruto. Like I would just assume like there's like a like a cloak of energy that just kind of like mm. handles it. Okay. And it maybe, but even then that would be that would look too all. It's a cop out. <laughs> yeah. I so know. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. Maybe dragon scales. You're probably right. Yeah, I think dragon scales like growing for an instant or something. Yeah. Maybe. Either way, overall, <laughs> what do you guys think of these two classes? Again, that monk class might be my new favorite monk class. That one was pretty awesome i i love the flavor i love what it can do i i like the the skill set that it offers in terms of like how it mm-hmm. can help you with like some charisma checks and stuff like everything about it was just amazing yeah i agree what about you ian i like them both and i think most players in general the more dragon classes if you will that you give them you just tend to eat it up like Especially since this game is about dungeons and dragons. That's what <laughs> so, you did there. I definitely can see some tweaking being done here on the mm-hmm. Watsi's part, but by and large, I do think we have some competent entries here. Overall. Yeah, I, I think these ones will probably go pretty unchanged for the most part. I think I, these don't seem too crazy or over the board like that one psionic warrior one that was fucking bonkers. Yeah. Where it just had like infinite resource to do this whole modding its armor or its weapon thing with its psychic powers. That one was a little crazy. But this is like there's very clear instances of uh resource usage. Um there is ways to get it back with different resources, much like the sorcerer, I yes. guess, but everyone's kind of vouching for this anyway. Everyone seems pretty okay with it because it's something that you kind of you want to keep using these features. These mm-hmm. features are cool. So And that's one of the things, like uh the biggest complaint for like the Ranger Beastmaster has been consuming your own attack for your pet. Well, this gives them exactly what you want. So I can totally see if this becomes a a normal thing. I can see Dungeon Masters homebrewing the Beastmaster to do the same thing if they don't I, already. Um, yeah, honestly. So overall, I'm really happy with this. To be fair, Watsi has released Unearth Arcana to modify the Beastmaster anyway, too. So mm-hmm. Makes sense. If you're going to go that route. Yeah. All I, right. I really do enjoy... Again, I, I just enjoy both of these. These, these like, they don't seem overtuned at all. Like, I mean, the the one where you get to resist any type of damage as a reaction of that damage type, that's at 15th level. And it's what? just for that instance. It's not till the end of the yeah. turn. So, um, it's, yeah. yeah it's, maybe it's not so bad. No. And, I mean, it, sure, the dragon is strong, but, like, by that point, so is everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like paladins are have like a lightsaber by that point like <laughs> dude <laughs> come on that's funny like, like even the like i was surprised personally at how the 17th monk one the 17th level one how like 
at, at first glance, I was like, this kind of doesn't feel like it does that much damage. But then, of course, you see like the DOT and then the, the weird 4d10 burst damage of like an aura explosion centered on yourself. That one was pretty interesting. I was like, ah, all right, there we go. There's something to give the monk a little extra, some burst damage, I guess, in right. there. So something that's probably needed by that point, because I think monks, they do a lot of damage, but like, you know, they don't have a lot of AOE damage. So I thought that was kind of neat that because they have this aspect of dragons, they kind of get to have that as specifically them. So mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. All right. I think that'll do it for our main topic today. The Unearthed Arcana subclasses, the uh drake warden and the way of the ascendant dragon and now a word from our sponsor alutu the podcast maker it's a web app where people can log in on their web browser and then use it to edit and produce their podcast episodes it automates the production and publishing and podcasting and offers a tool to make editing quicker and easier then upload the recordings to alitu then convert all your files and cleans up your volumes, background noise, and hiss. Then pieces it all together and adds your theme music automatically and publishes the episode direct to your podcast host. The idea behind Ollie 2 is to make podcasting as quick and simple as possible, removing a bunch of the tech barriers and to let you concentrate on the bit you do best, talking about something you love. Try it out for free over at Ollie2.com. That's A-L-I-T-U.com to get your one-week free trial. And now, what you've all been waiting for, our Unearth Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Our character concept today is the Beguiler. How you see me? Not for long. <laughs> I have learned to survive this treacherous world by remaining unnoticed. Staying out of sight and out of mind. Your tactics focus on clouding and confusing the minds of your foes. Which, through misdirection, magic, or both. Choosing an array of methods of around unseen and bedeviling your foes is the best path of a beguiler. Skills such as deceptive lies, misdirection, mastering a disguise kit, or utilizing spells such as major, major, major illusion, fog, Charms person and other such features that make your foes vulnerable to the attack of your allies. The key to your success is to escape notice with an arsenal of techniques. I can definitely see how this guy's self can fit in this one too. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can be sly and sneaky, or create context illusions to hide you and your allies during day or night. Subtlety is critical, and your secrecy can save your life. But again. Sometimes a forthright attack is just the right tool for the job. Now, I'm going to do a lie. The whole thing of remaining unnoticed, I'm like, huh, oh, that seems like me in life in general. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not um, me in D&D, but in life, absolutely. I enjoy this character concept and side note, I remember just one time where I once was sitting in the same room that my mom walked into and she didn't notice I was there for 15 minutes until I started talking. I went in the mind when I read that first sentence. She still loves you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like this character concept because this is something you traditionally think is the job of the rogue, um, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be any Whoa. sort of character can have this sort of I'm best when people know I'm not there sort of um, idea and using different forms of illusion, magic, disguise self, 
um, charming people to to like if somebody actually spots you and wasting a charm person just to say, I am not here. I am not the gnome you are looking for, or whatever. Um, really starts to come into a uh, come into a situation where all these things you do are designed to make your allies succeed better. Um, and I really like that. I like playing a character where nobody know their their success. Is my success, but nobody knows that my it's my success. Does, does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah. In my head, it did. I, I, I could definitely right. see a wizard doing this. Yeah, a, fun. a wizard or a bard, maybe. I mean, yeah. I, again, obviously the rogue, but we we don't want to be too obvious here. Right, right. And that's kind of the point, right? right. We don't want to be too obvious because that's to the very the the game. The gamers, the second movie where they were trying to distract the paladin so they could torture an NPC, him being a lot of good and all that. And uh, the bar kept kind of going, Hey, those guys were funny. I think one went over there. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, interrogation scene, they kept like, coming back to like the bar and the paladin. I don't see him. He must get off. Wait, he's over there. Where? And they just keep <laughs> oh. running. Misdirection, yeah. right? Um, And I think. I could- Oh, sorry, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, I think you could probably, maybe do this with a warlock, depending on what you take on your invocations and stuff. Well, I think you can get disguise self or is it alter self as oh, an at will as a warlock invocation. Yeah. So you could definitely do that. Well, um, and of course, minor illusions a cantrip. So. Right, and minor um, illusion does a lot of the work for you, honestly. But once again, this comes down to how you role play as well. Because let's say I'm playing the beguiler, and our group decides that they need to go. They're 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 called to speak with this noble, and there's four of us, but only three show up because I've disguised myself as a guard. So now I'm using magic as a hidden guard, a plant inside the room to charm or. Um, alter somebody else's perceptions on what's going on without them noticing. Because if I'm standing right in front of the person I'm trying to trick, it's going to be much more obvious than if you're dressed as a servant person and serving off to the side and and wiggling your finger to 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 help enhance. This could be as simple as using uh, guidance, right? Guidance is a, a mm-hmm. cleric ability. If you're playing a beguiler cleric where you're pretending to be this this servant person, and every time they're making checks, you're trying to bless them with your deity using the guidance cantrip. Um, you That's can't good, you can't get away with that while you're talking right to the person because they're gonna know you're doing it. Um, mm-hmm. so this can really go a lot of different ways aside from the more traditional roguish style play. I mean, this definitely has like a, a lot of setup to it. Mm-hmm. Like oh you, yeah. You yourself as like the player are going to have to set up a lot of these situations. You're going to have to take these extra steps that your other players probably aren't going to be thinking about. Right. But that's kind of the point. You're, you're the guy who does these kinds of things. So and nobody knows. Kind of role. Yeah. And no one's supposed to know. Right. So that is the idea. So I like that. All like, right. I like the idea of dressing up as a guard in like a mansion or something like like an armored guard who's just like standing still. You might not be proficient in heavy armor. Don't need to be. You just look like them. Yeah. And that's more than enough. Protection. And then somebody <laughs> says, where's Jugen? Uh, charm person. Uh, I am Jugen. Oh, good to see you, Jugen. How's the daughter? You know, 
I am Jugan. Oh, sorry. You must have, did you get dropped down a few inches? It's the boots. Ah, of course. Of course. It's always the boots. Got new ones. Yeah. <laughs> the guy. He's sick today. I'm filling in. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It's... I think that'll do it for our character concept, the Beguiler. Our... Is that what we did in Avernus? Yes. <laughs> we, just just, we just walked through like, oh, uh, sorry, we work here. It's like, oh. That's nice. exactly what you guys did. And that's part of the reason this is in here. <laughs> that's part of why that's in here. Um, because you guys took on that role temporarily. But uh, having a character that's all about that, it's awesome. Um, yes, our monster variant today is the Fist of the Dragon. I wonder where I got this idea. Uh, these powerful warriors embody and revere dragons for their might and grandeur. They channel their inner key energy to resonate like a thrumming power of formidable dragons. Their inner strength exploding outwards through their fists, feet, and maw like the trembling roar of a dragon. So in order to build the fist of the dragon, you're going to start with the stat block of the stone giant. So we're going big or going home here. You're, uh, we are going to change their size from huge to medium. They're going to lose their dark vision. They're going to lose the stone camouflage. They're going to lose their rock, and they're going to lose their great glove. So basically, they lost everything that made them a stone giant. <laughs> uh, Literally everything. <laughs> you're going to give them a new skill. You're going to give them insight at a plus four. You're going to give them step of the wind. The fist of the dragon can take the disengage and dash action as a bonus action and double its jump distance. You're going to give it the draconic fist, which lets it change its unarmed strike damage to acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison. Just like our character concept yeah. today, right? Um, the unarmed strike is plus nine uh, to hit with a five foot reach that deals uh, 3d8 plus six bludgeoning damage, unless you, of really course, change the element, right? Mm -hmm. So now you're you're really those uh, you're gonna catch those the tieflings off by uh, off guard when you punch them in the gut and it goes from a flaming fist to an ice cold chilly blast. Uh, we're gonna give them the breath of the dragon now. The reason I didn't call this Dragon's Breath because it is uh, different than Breath uh, Dragon's Breath. Um, the yeah. Fist of the Dragon channels its key into a destructive wave of energy through its hands, feet, or maw. When it makes an unarmed attack, it can replace one of its attacks with a release of this draconic energy in a 20-foot cone or a 30-foot line by 5 feet. The Fist of the Dragon chooses the damage type at, during this time. Acid, cold, fit, fire, lightning, poison, whatever. And mm -hmm. each creature in the area makes a DC 16 deck save or takes 22 uh, damage chosen of the chosen type or half as much on a successful uh, save. So basically in the middle, I think they have they have uh, multi-attack, right? They, they have multi-strike. So during one of these strikes, you can alter it into, you basically punch somebody and then release a gout of energy through them. Uh, which I just found, uh, it sounded just too awesome to not do. Oh, and absolutely. Instead of it being like a, a, a traditional cone effect, you do like a roundhouse that releases an entire shockwave from your foot and out into the, the, the enemy and the people behind him. What do you guys think? I'm loving it, dude. I am so, uh, again, I'm so about this subclass. I'm going to play when it comes out, actually. <laughs> it looks so good. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. It certainly inspired this uh, this monster in mm -hmm. 
And it's so much, it's just so much fun because I love the idea. You know, we got the bunk. The, the reason I use the stone giant because it's natural attack is so strong. Just the, the, the huge punch just makes yep. sense. I mean, you're basically, I took a, I did the Ant-Man thing. I took a big giant guy and shrunk him down a little bit, Yeah. <laughs> but he kept the same amount of oomph behind it. Um, mm-hmm. overall, I think this is a fun one and can add quite a bit of versatility. I like the idea of including it as like an NPC, um, that mm-hmm. the, the characters might run into for whatever like reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, he's, he could be, I mean, the, the race can be any you want. It's, this is the origin stone giant, but you shrink it to right. whatever medium creature you want. Uh, or exactly. small, I guess, if you really want to do a gnome fist dragon guy so. I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right that'll do it for our monster variant the fist of the dragon uh austin would you like to tell us about our encounter of the podcast absolutely so our encounter is fallen from grace while making camp a far distant golden orb dances in the sky after several minutes of erratic behavior it streaks across the sky it's like it's light flickering in and out and slams into a nearby mountain a character who succeeds on a DC 18 wisdom survival check is able to successfully locate the object. Upon arriving, they discover a small crater inside, which is an athletic female with, with golden cloth, with gray skin, and severe battle wounds. She is haggard and has difficulty moving, but she is able to identify herself as a Ayalil. Go with that. Okay, Ayalil. Sounds good. That is that is a tough word for me to say. I don't know why. Which is a deva. Very cool. Um, a successful DC 16 wisdom medicine check confirms her wounds are life-threatening. Uh, she has four levels of exhaustion, which is awful. <laughs> One level of exhaustion is awful enough. We can't imagine four. Uh, she explains that she was on her way to share a da Vinci message of great importance. That's supposed to be divine message. I'm assuming it's supposed to be divine message. Hey, you know what? Why don't you uh, just ignore my autocorrect when I'm typing on my phone, all right? Uh, (laughs) I was like, I read it right. As GM, of course, you can decide what it is. doesn't really matter. Uh, During her flight, she ran into a bone devil named Olgrogra. That's pretty good. Olgrogra. That's easier than a a yay lil. (laughs) Uh, and its minions bent on preventing her from achieving her goal. She was able to deal a devastating blow to the devil and its minions, but not before it used a strange object to capture and imprison her grace. Without her grace, her wings, magic, and celestial power left her, and she crashed into the material plane. She pleads with the characters to seek out her grace and return it to her before she dies. With her grace gone, she won't survive more than two or three days. A successful DC-18 intelligence to religion check can confirm a general area where the devils may be hiding in an area to recover. The old Golgra has strapped a Yalil's grace in an Ifridi bottle. DMG, instead of a fire, her grace is radiant. Uh, upon returning the bottle to her and releasing her grace, she is fully restored. What do you guys now, think? What I think what would be cool afterwards is if you kind of get her favor. So she's like, you saved me. Call me if you need help. So for one time, right. you could just call down a diva and just wreak havoc. I like that. That's a and good idea. Just like, or just like a simple like, hey, you guys get a blessing. Here's a level up or something. I don't know. What do you guys think about this encounter? I love helping angels. <laughs> it's a fun time. I like how there's like a time limit to it. So there is a reason to kind of pursue it quickly. Um. 
And of course, it's an angel. So if you're any good character, you're gonna do it. Assuming okay. it. so, the really thing I thought was interesting is they can go looking for it, but if they fail the survival check, they never find it. Um. So the idea that it creates an event that they can investigate but may fail is interesting. Um, I also included this because I like the idea of events occurring around the characters when they just happen to be by. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll start to see that as a recurring th- theme in my encounters where they're just kind of events that are going on and the players can choose to get involved or not because I think that that's the best way to do it when you've got a more open uh, sandboxy game. Yeah, uh, and I definitely noticed that from this one as well, that it is very, it kind of is just, can you can just throw it anywhere. It'll happen. Oh, I'm biting on an airship. Boom, an angel lands on me. <laughs> Andrew says, she she says, call me, beat me if you want to reach me. That is totally a Kim Possible thing, right? Is that what that's from? I think so. I yeah. think it is. Um, the other thing that's really cool about this is once they capture the item, if they manage to defeat the Bone Devil and its minions, uh, it's an Ifriti bottle. Uh, now, it's not a fire Ifriti. It's a, a, like a radiant one. But Afridis can uh, grant wishes. So now the characters have a choice. Grant wish. Save a Deva. Yeah. So yeah, I think um, it gives a, a, a strong moral choice about what's right to do. I think that it's very clear what the right thing to do is just how greedy are the players. Because <laughs> they have a very well-perceived reward with just this alone. Mm-hmm. But then they're like, but what could the diva give us? That's just true. Thanks. Pat on the back. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> move along and move along. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're not going to tell us you're going to tell your God that we just saved you. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have anything on this, Ian? That, okay, I'm going to say it. Definitely remind me of a few episodes of Supernatural here and there. Oh, I'm not going to lie. I totally took this right from Supernatural. (laughs) I suspected. (laughs) I I won't even deny that. (laughs) Um, As with many of my ideas, they are concepts (laughs) that have been twisted and taken from other inspirations that are better storytellers than me. Uh, All right, so... Reminds me of a meme like, where where can I get ideas for my D&D campaign? Wait, my players don't play Warhammer 40k. <laughs> <laughs> um, that'll Start ripping stuff out of it. That'll do it for our encounter of the podcast, Fallen from Grays. Our magic item of the podcast has been submitted by Andrew Wheeler. Um, I did make some adjustments to better fit our formats, to, uh, but uh, let's go from there. It is called Bolt. It is a weapon. It is javelin. It's very rare and requires attunement by... Um, a follower of the God of Storms, and you can change that to whatever you want. Uh, that that's what I was thinking, but uh, literally, which, Zeus comes down. He's like, "Hey, there you go." Which, by the way, if you have not watched Blood of Zeus, it's awesome. I really enjoyed it. It's on Netflix. Once I also was playing Hades, so I kind of get that too. God, <laughs> so. Once held in a temple at the top of a mountain, this javelin is an exquisite weapon engraved with images of crashing lightning bolts, clouds, and creatures of the sky. Although you must worship a god of storms, Bolt grudgingly accepts new converts. 
<laughs> He's gonna try to convert him. A weapon that tries to convert you. That's hilarious. Um, you gain a plus two bonus to attack and damage rolls made with this magic weapon. If you score a critical hit with it, the target takes extra lightning damage equal to your proficient modif- proficiency modifier. So now we could raise that a little. You know what? I gave it a plus two. What the hell you want, man? (laughs) And it's elemental damage on top of your double damage crit. Come on now. Uh, Anyways, so uh, this weapon also functions as a lightning javelin with uh, lightning uh, javelin of lightning with three charges, um, which are consumed uh, each each use consumes a charge. So instead of just the once per day that the lightning javelin of lightning gives you, you can do it up to three times. Um, and it regains those charges at dawn. Additionally, it can cast the sending spell once per long rest, which it does automatically in secret every day at dawn, reaching out to its previous owner and creator, a lich named Amuzan. Amuzan prime. Hoping to be reunited. Uh, Sentient. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Sentient. Bolt is a sentient weapon of lawful evil alignment with an intelligence 11, a wisdom 10, and charisma of 18. It has a hearing and dark vision out to 60 feet. The weapon communicates telepathically with its wielder and can speak, read, and write, and understand language, plus three other languages. Personality. When an enemy is near death, Bolt grows excited. It begins humming tunes of thunder and storms. Bolt zealously desires to be reunited with its creator. Every opportunity uh, for input is used to drive its wielder back to its old home where it was forged by Amuzan. A damp, dark temple in a mountain that protrudes through the clouds. Bolt harbors a secret that it truly wants uh, wants to serve its creator. Everyone else is just a vehicle to help it find its creator. I do have one question. Cast sending at every dawn, right? Yeah. In secret. What if somebody casts identify on this item and, like, you can cast sending? Don't worry about it. (laughs) That would be an interesting conversation between its caster and the weapon, now, wouldn't it be? It would be. There'd be a couple uh, deception checks going on in there. Maybe he doesn't hide it. He's like, yep, I got to use it to maintain my power or some bullshit. Who knows? Um, what do you guys think? That's how I speak to my god. <laughs> it brings me closer to the god of storms, Zeus. That's how I create <laughs> with my creator. <laughs> I love it because inevitably it's going to create an end of campaign boss fight. It's a lich. Yeah. This motherfucker's going to hurt you. <laughs> He's going to want a spear back. What if it turns out the lich doesn't want it back? <laughs> it's got like some terrible, annoying flaw, and he just like got rid of it because it was oh, annoying. He, just, he's, he took oh, one of its lightning charges and threw it. <laughs> just ripped it Not out of here. Excalibur from Soul Eater, who turns out anybody can pull it from the stone and wield it, but he's just so annoying that most people just shove it back into the stone. <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't have very many uh, sentient weapons on the 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 show, but I like putting this one together. He gave me some kind of outlines for it, so I restructured it. But I was really happy with this. Sure. I think it's it's fun. Um, it's not something that's blatantly overpowered, and as you said, Austin, it leads to a, a potential uh, a huge a encounter. Power. Yeah, yeah, that's engraved into a magic item. So, which is good. The real question is: is how. Uh, is the what's the person gonna do to try to keep it from getting back into the hands of its uh, owner? 
Never go to it. <laughs> Waste a spell slot casting silence on it every day. So I can't talk. Well, I guess I can't. Well, I mean, it's telepath, like, I guess. I was going to say, it's a sending spell. So, like, is it really... What if the list is just like, okay, cool, you're over there. I, I'm i staying up here. <laughs> the lich's mailbox like... is full. <laughs> it just doesn't want it no more. He's like, uh... hey, man, I'm all the way up here in my dark, ca- or my dark cathedral in the middle of some clouds. You're way on the other side of the world. I don't have the time in the day to go over there. <laughs> That's funny. You don't care. You're one of my lesser items. <laughs> right like oh god it's cracking me up uh i think that'll do it for our magic item bolt uh (laughs) thank you andrew for your submission uh ian would you like to tell us about our dungeon master tip our dm tip of the day is party backgrounds during the start of a new campaign work with your players to help fit their characters into the story you're building give them some parameters to work with simplest of these is a location. You may indicate that you want them to tie their character to the 45 city of Greenwall. You may want them to have been part of the city for some time. Did they grow up there? If so, what was that like? Did they come from a far away land? And if so, why did they leave? Next time you want to ask each of your players to establish a relationship with each other. These relationships can take any form the players desire. In any case, this can help the campaign get start off with the players being much more engaged in the setting that they would be if they just arrived in the town. This also helps you as a DM flesh out the city and identify what is important to the players and their characters. What, what do you guys think? I kind of flashback to when I read this that it was one campaign that I played in and the DM set it up where you must establish ties with at least one other character. Mm-hmm. And one of them was myself and one other player character ended up breaking ourselves out of prison. <laughs> so, so. That's cool. <laughs> right. What about you, Austin? I like this, and it really does just kind of remind me of, like, um, like, you, you kind of do it in, a, like, a, a kind of, like, an almost impulsive style way where we're just like, all right, you... How do you know this guy? <laughs> you're just like, where are we? Well, you're in Baldur's Gate, so good luck. Think of something. I'm like, oh, well, I I work as the guard, and I'm, I I know him because he walked in, and I had to check on him because I'm a guard there. And it's like, oh, so that's how you guys know each other. It's like, yeah, I guess we know each other by name. That's it. <laughs> so yeah, so what you're saying is by giving this out in advance and giving the players time to. Um, really, here's the, here's the, here's exactly the stipulations of what I need. Mm. Create your characters around this. Do you guys feel like that that doesn't take away from the agency of the players? I don't think so. I mean, it helps. Because here's the thing. They're going to want to create something within those parameters anyway, because that's Mm -hmm. what the campaign is setting around. So you're kind of just giving them like a guideline or or like a checklist to kind of just be like, hey, just do this and it'll be easy. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And in hindsight, I kept on thinking a long list of, oh, I forgot to talk about that with the players, especially since some were new. And one of them was, what's your character's background? And like, do you know each other? I was like, oh. 
And even then, you um, could always say, like, this is what you've been doing in recent time. doesn't mm-hmm. mean that's what you were doing before all of what you've been doing currently. Right. I could have easily like just that. reflected that I wasn't born in Baldur's Gate. I was born in... Uh, uh, Waterdeep. And I only recently went to Baldur's Gate and worked as a guard. Mm-hmm. Still the same thing. Everything still applies, except I was just from somewhere else, and I could add more stuff over there if I wanted to. Right. Flesh it out a little bit. All right. I think that'll do it for our Dungeon Master Tip Party Backgrounds. Our yeah. <laughs> our player tip of the podcast is don't, don't be, be a dick. dick. Well, we try. <laughs> Racial powers. Although your ability score uh, bonuses have a huge impact on optimization, sometimes this can kind of create kind of uh, horse blinders to... Uh, the other features that could optimally match your class or play style. So, for example, an Eladrin fighter who can use face step to teleport into an in-out of combat, it will play completely different than a Cobalt fighter who will cower pathetically to get close to an enemy to distract them so their rogue ally can sneak attack them uh, and fo- or, and then they can follow up with an attack with advantage because of pack tactics. Um, it's cons- huge. Consider how your character might use these different racial powers of the various uh, races you're considering. The, the, the feature may outweigh some of the stat bonuses uh, for a variety of reasons. It is worth noting, however, that some features will work well more well with uh, pretty much any class, while some are more specific. But um, it's easy to get yeah. caught in which character has the best stats for me um to give me this primary stat boost up to the the highest level i can get and not think about just the other racial features and how they can come into play um across uh your builds what do you guys think yeah yeah you generally speaking do you want want to take your stats into account but you're right you definitely don't want to discount racial abilities too because there are definitely some racial options out there Especially in some of the other supplements outside of the PHP that are so good. It's like now if uh players pick this more often, this might screw over some DMs. Like look at how many things a furball could do, for example. <laughs> the the a lot. The big thing that oh, came to my self invisibility. The big thing that came to my mind was I've never seen a wizard orc, but orcish resilience is ideal for somebody who can hit zero really easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another thing is like the, uh, see, it's crazy too because, like, I think like the protector as a mark, just being able to just turn on flight mm-hmm. at will for an entire combat encounter and gaining extra damage with whatever you're doing is absurd. Mm-hmm. Like, actually, like I-, I chose the scourge Azimar, but I think the scourge Azimar might be one of like the worst out of all the three sub races, and in, in, in that one because mm-hmm. like it's. You're damaging yourself. You don't want to do that, of course. But like, it's—I don't know, man. There's some crazy stuff out there. Yeah. And... Like, yeah. I mean, charisma bonuses and stuff is great, but like, the active abilities and like some of the, like the resistances you can get on some of these things is like it's it's pretty it's pretty good. In lending them to your your combat style, like in the example with the Eladrin fighter, um, just starting off combats with that because I think that recharges on a short rest, if I'm not mistaken. Um. Maybe it's a little, I'll check I don't remember. Um, but starting off a combat where you just teleport behind somebody and start attacking, that's going to give you a completely different flavor than if you just picked a orc who has to run in thumpy thumpy to catch somebody to strike them. 
Um, ideally, if you're running a Eladrin fighter with like a great sword, the the Eladrin doesn't get a strength boost stat. So from that perspective, it's not as optimal. You know what I mean? Um, it is actually a short rest. You can get it back on a short rest. That is so crazy. Yeah. So <laughs> that's really good. And once oh, what's that? What's that new fire archetype? Uh, the Rune Knight. Shadows? Oh, these is shadows. Mm, I don't remember. Oh, the um. I know what he's talking about, but I don't Echo remember what it's Knight? called. Don't know the one from Wild Mount. Yeah, the Echo yeah, Knight. Echo Knight. Echo Knight. <laughs> Eladrin Echo Knight. That's so <laughs> pretty awesome. That's a lot, a lot of teleporting That'd around. Be really huh? cool, actually. Um, that'd be so dope. That'd be man. I might. There are options. Awesome ideas, honestly. Like, jeez. Well, this is, and actually, this mentioned. I mentioned this before. This is why I want to go to more of a a short term encounter, uh, like instead of big giant campaigns to like smaller ones. But I really wanted to do Sentinel Avenue. So, um, anyways, I think that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't Don't be a dick. dick. Yeah. Even try. Fair enough. That's fair. Uh, Master those racial powers. Uh, before we close out today, we have another gift to give away. Compliments of Jeff Stevens. A masked menace terrifies the region. Adventurers stumble into her schemes. The kidnapping of a famous performer known as Devin Artis. Her mission is to deliver a ransom and collect Devin. And today, the winner of this adventure is Zach Ahayas. <laughs> Congratulations, Zach Ahayas. Um, If you enjoy the adventure, please leave Jeff Stevens a review. Uh, if you didn't win, have no fear. Head on over to CritAcademy.com slash Jeff Stevens and get more fat loots. Compliments of Jeff. Jeff Stevens Games. I almost wore a short today. I changed my own shirt. But, uh, <laughs> oh, which reminds me, uh, we have apparel now, and we got lots of great compliments on Game Masters Do It on the table, and I'm the GM. I can fix stupid, but it's going to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and they all have some really nice <laughs> art on them. So check those out over at yeah. CritAcademy.com. Uh, please join us on our next episode. We'll be discussing the superhero genre in 5th edition. Um, I posted a question to all of the people in the social media world. And some people thought this was a terrible idea. Um, I strongly disagree with it. Not only have I found some uh, decent starting uh, jumping off points, but I think I'm on to something really, really cool. So I've been working with the patrons to really flesh this out, and we'll see how it goes. We're going to be discussing uh, superheroes next week, so make sure to join us. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the best default option would be to go to Two Locked the Barbarian's channel and just reflavor a ton of things. So. Yeah, and... and... I had considered that, but I think we can do better. And so we'll go from there. Uh, if you enjoy the show and you want to support us, head on over to criticemi.com, follow us on social media, and leave us a review. If you'd like to join us live, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Twitch, YouTube. Uh, we go live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern or GMT4. So mm-hmm. consider checking us out. Um, yeah. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Austin. I'm your co-host, Ian. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. <laughs> <laughs>